You're now listening to J House Podcast Radio in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Wine be the gang and you know them niggas Boot it up, turned up, piped up I'm back, baby, where the love? Where the love at? I'm back, baby, where the love? Where the love at? I'm back, baby, where the love? Boot it up, turned up Yo, yo, what's up, bro? Man I'm great I'm just so happy to be doing this again Yeah, I feel you on that, bro we got we got a we got some good topics prepared for today. Oh, for sure, bro, for sure, man. Like, and I think I got a lot of thoughts on them too as well. But um, but just before we get started, for everyone who's tuning in, welcome to J House Podcast Radio. Uh, for those who are going to listen to this later, what's up? For those who are going to watch this on YouTube, what's up as well? We're starting to record again. Get back on that. I joined the iPhone family today, so that's pretty great. Welcome I, to the iPhone family, then. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. I'm I'm expecting a real upsurge in quality from uh from Android. So yeah, okay. I'm, it's gonna be great. But um yeah, man. Today's quite a uh, quite a bit to uh to get into within this hour that we have. Um, you let know, me, let me start real quick. Uh, I just wanted to say something real quick before we get into anything. Um, yeah. Because I'd be remiss if I didn't paying a quick tribute to an absolute, uh, another legend taken in 2020, uh, arguably the greatest guitar player of all time, Eddie Van Halen, has died of cancer. Uh, Yeah. I was devastated when I heard that because you know me, I'm a humongous fan of rock music and in the rock and roll community, Eddie is considered one of, if not the best guitar player of all time. He's up there with the two legendary Jimmys, Jimmy Page and Jimi Hendrix. Um, yeah. It, it's it's very rare that a, the member of a band is not the lead singer in terms of most famous and most well-known. But with that band, Van Halen, I mean, it was all about Eddie. We love Sammy Hagar. We love David Lee Roth. But that band was centered around one thing, and that was the the jaw-dropping talent of Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. He's a, a legend taken. Uh, dude, 2020 sucks. Yeah. Let's just call it for what it is. I mean, in one year, we've lost Chadwick Boseman, Eddie Van Halen, and Kobe Bryant. This year sucks. Yeah. Um, and then you add on top of it, COVID and Sally and now Delta prayers for Louisiana. Shit. Yeah. Just can't catch a break in this 2020, man. Like not even whether, it, you know, losing stars or anything, but like movie, like everything, like we can't, we can't catch a break. Um, you know, and uh, being honest, I don't know much about Eddie Van Halen. I'm not going to front or be, you know, someone who wants to pretend like they know, but, you know, I do understand the the significance of Eddie Van Halen and who he was. And, you know, so respects to him and his family, condolences to them. And another legend gone, man. Another legend. 
we got to start protecting. We, we need double security on Ozzy Osbourne now. Oh. Someone's got to go watch that man. We got to protect that man. I can't handle that, man. I can't look. If Ozzy goes too, I'm I'm just done with 2020. I'm like, uh-uh. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> but yeah, bro. I mean, there's a bunch of different topics we can start this off on. I sent you one that I wanted to talk about today because I know it's a topic that you'd be very passionate about. Yeah. But you, I'm gonna let you kick this off because we got three different topics to hit today. You go ahead and kick this off. Yeah. Um. Well, today you asked me, was there anything going on, and particularly like. Like on an honest scale, there's really not that much going on in the Marvel DC world right now. We know we we've talked about it for the past six, seven months about what DC has going on. And so that's that. <clears throat> We're chilling. We're waiting on that. We're waiting on the Batman. We're waiting on the Snyder Cut. We're waiting on Wonder Woman 84, which is reportedly almost probably gonna go to direct streaming, but hopefully not. Um you know, yeah, we, I mean, so, but that's, I'll, I'll get into that a little later, but I mean, yeah, man, it's not much from DC Marvel popping off with, uh, Spider-Man three, Tom Holland's Spider-Man three. They brought back Jamie Foxx's Electro, which I think is awesome because they bought JK Simmons back as, uh, as, uh, as Jonah J. Jameson. So, um, Electro is a fan favorite of that whole TASM series. He's, He's a really appreciated villain as Electro. And so to have him brought back is cool, which has started this swirl of rumors and speculations that they may bring Andrew and uh, Tobey Maguire <clears throat> back in sort of this multiverse sort of deal. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange is confirmed to be in Spider-Man 3. So that may have some significance to it. Um WandaVision is also a, a sort of multiverse alternate reality type thing. This seems to be a response, you know, and of, of course, business wise, you know, this seems to be like a proper business move, story move since DC's doing a multiverse and trying to tackle that. Um, it would only make sense for Marvel to do that as well, which I think they could do it too, because both of these universes have a multiverse. So, you know, it, it's pretty exciting for Marvel. Um, I don't, I don't know what else lies beyond that really, but, um, you know, other, and I told you this, I told you this about Spider-Man. I'm like, dude, I'm not going to take away from anybody's interpretation of Spider-Man. Different versions resonate with different people, different generations of them, you know, do different things. For me, it was Andrew and, and, uh, and Toby. And I loved Andrew, and I think Andrew should definitely make another appearance. That would, like, be awesome. It would sort of give some sort of closure, at least, since he's probably not getting a third uh, full feature-length film with him as Spider-Man. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I think Sony kind of... I, I was kind of disappointed because I thought Spider-Man 2 had a great... or amazing Spider-Man 2... I thought that ending with the tease of the Sinister Six, yeah. I thought that was great, and I was all excited. But I mean, we never got it. That was uh, right. Incredibly. Now, a Andrew is not my favorite Spider-Man by any stretch, but I'm not gonna lie, I thoroughly enjoyed Electro and Amazing Spider-Man Two. I yeah. thought. Now, was he the most comic book accurate depiction of Electro we've ever seen? No, but. Yeah. 
if we're asking honestly, didn't he look way cooler than the Electro in the comics with that goofy ass with that goofy ass green outfit and the yellow lightning ears? I mean, yeah, I thought he looked, but and you know how I feel about sympathetic villains. I love me a sympathetic, like, make me feel bad for you. Give me a good reason why you feel this way. And they did that with Electro. Right. And also, and, we can't take away nothing from Jamie Foxx. Phenomenal actor. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, And, and like, and I'm excited to see what Marvel's going to do with that because Marvel, Marvel has a streak of being able to do those costume designs where they take old retro villains and they sort of modernize it. So they've done a great job at, at doing that, you know. And no Marvel fan, you'll never. One thing I'm gonna tell you about this: you'll never hear a Marvel fan complain about like seeing one of their old heroes in a retro suit. Well, maybe outside of the X Men, but people understand that. Though, like the Wolverine's costume, that would be something entirely different to tackle for live action. So not everything works. But at the same time, you'll never hear a Marvel fan complain about wanting to see Spider-Man in a retro suit or wanting to see Iron Man. In a re- you'll never hear anybody complain about that. DC fans, on the other hand, for some reason, they want that boy Superman in those tights. It just means something to him so bad. But I think I think the design that they may do, whatever they choose to do for the this second iteration of Electro, I think it's going to be good. I'm going to say this, too, and this is just kind of a small rant to DC fans. I made this analogy one. That Marvel fans are like fans of rap. DC fans are fans of rock music. What do I mean by that? Rap fans are willing to accept anything when it comes to new artists. Okay, if I like this artist, I like him. If I don't, I don't. You got your mumble rap, and you've got all these other guys, the lyrical rappers, you know, So, and everybody yeah. loves them. You know, you got guys, some people don't like mumble rap, some people don't like lyrical rap, but, or, and some people don't like crunk, but they accept it. Rock fans are have just completely shredded every new band that has come out over the last five years. And then they wonder, why don't more rock bands come out? Well, let's see. Imagine Dragons tried to do something different, and you ripped them to shreds saying, that's not rock music. Well, here comes Greta Van Fleet with four incredibly talented guys, but they sound too much like Led Zeppelin, so we can't like them either. So we got to rip them to shreds. It comes to the point, like, what the hell do you actually want? And when I look at the MCU, yes, I will concede, and Marvel, I will concede, and and we've argued back and forth on this. I'm not changing my position anytime soon. Marvel has consistently put out better products across the board than DC has over the last mm, five or decade, probably. And that's not to say DC hasn't had some great success because you've had Joker, you've had, uh, to some people, Batman v Superman. But my God, man, DC fans got to quit being so picky. 
That's the whole point of this whole rant, man. Marvel fans are taking everything they want, and they're loving it. DC fans want to rip everything to shreds. Right. Now, and that, and that's, now granted, there's parts of what DC and Warner Brothers have done that deserve to be ripped to shreds. Take, for instance, what we talk about more than anything else on this show, Justice League. That deserves to be ripped to shreds. Suicide Squad deserves to be ripped to shreds. And to to a lesser extent, so does Birds of Prey. To a lesser extent. Not to the extent of Justice League and uh, Suicide Squad. Right. But some of these nitpicky things I keep hearing... I keep hearing people say, like, I, I straight up, this is no joke, Eric, you can't make this crap up. I was arguing with somebody on Facebook, I re-downloaded the app, and I'm about to delete it again because people are stupid. And <laughs> he was complaining about Affleck saying he looked nothing like Bruce Wayne from the comics. Excuse me, sir, I don't know what comics you're reading, but Ben Affleck looks more like Bruce Wayne in the comics, than anyone else who's put on the ears. Far and away. Christian Bale looked nothing like Bruce Wayne. Michael Keaton with the mullet sure as hell didn't look anything like Bruce Wayne. Kilmer Kilmer and Clooney? mm Mm-mm. Pattinson? Not at all. Affleck was the one who acted the closest. And I'm like, what are you even complaining about? I mean, there, there's valid criticisms to be had about DC. Like, because, I mean, every movie has valid criticisms you could have. But, yeah. I mean, I stand by this. I mean, you and I, you know, we disagree on how great of a film BVS really was. I think it was good, not great. And, you know, obviously you think it was a masterpiece of our time. Uh Yeah. But I think we can both agree on the fact that that film got way more hate than it deserved. Way more hate than it deserved. Like, I I, I was saying to people, was BVS the greatest movie DC's ever made? No. Was it Dark Knight tier level? No. But is it a 28% out of 100 like Rotten Tomatoes said? Hell no. No. Hell no. And I'm reading the reviews of it, and they're complaining it's too dark. Excuse me, have you ever read a DC comic? That's what that's what it right. is. DC had the nickname right. Dark Comics for a long time for that reason. Yeah. A lot of DC's characters, especially Batman, Batman doesn't live in a fairy tale world where everything where everything's no. happy. He's like he may be with the exception of Frank Castle, the most depressing mainstream superhero out there when you read their stories. And I mean mainstream, because of course there's always some douchebag who's going to throw some lesser-known character at me. So I'm going to clarify and say mainstream franchise characters. People who've had a movie in the theaters. Exactly. Once yeah, or twice. Someone that everyone knows. Batman is incredibly depressing. Incredibly. And it's like, okay, when Batman goes too dark, you hate him for that.
But when he's shown laughing it up in Justice League, you hate him for that too. So I'm thinking, okay, so we hate Batman when he's mad. We hate Batman when he's happy. What the hell is he supposed to do? What What is he supposed to do? Right. I never right. seen anything like it. I mean, yeah. And I'll concede this point. I I do agree that DC, the DCU and DC movies, it certainly seems like they've been judged by a totally different standard than MCU films have. Right. And 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 I and I'd agree with that because like all I and I tell and I tell you this about the MCU, you know, even if they have a movie that I don't like, at least they stuck with what they wanted to do, regardless of what me or anybody else said. At least they stuck with it. You know what I'm saying? Because those payoffs end up being, you know, better than than anything else. Um, I tell you about Thor Ragnarok, how I hate Thor Ragnarok. But and I hate how they did, you know, Thor in that movie. But then we can go to Infinity War and Endgame where the payoffs are. And I would submit to you that those two appearances with Thor in it were like major rebound, like having him cut off Thanos's head in the beginning of Endgame. And then, you know, he says, you know, I went for the head and, you know, people in the theater are laughing like, ha ha ha. I'm like, that's not funny, dude. Thor was like, he really meant that. He went for the head this time. Like, it was no joke. Da, 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 da. And then he walks out the door, you know, with the cat. I'm like, that was, like, brilliant. Like, that was Marvel brilliance right there to me. And so I'm like, that's the thing. If I didn't like Thor Ragnarok, at least they stuck with the plan. And Thor made this big rebound. And we see the payoff in Infinity War and Endgame. And so... That's the same kind of thing that I ask people to do for DC, you know, be as it may, whether it be Man of Steel, BVS, you know, Wonder, whatever the case may be, you know, let's see how this thing plays out, you know, and of course they are, they're doing it now with the Snyder Cut, but, you know, we're seeing the payoff, we're going to see the payoff now, and it's going to be good. And so that, but I don't know, man. It's just something about what the MCU did, well, they're, they're you know, back films. when they first started. I, they're very, huh? they're all enjoyable films to me. I mean, yeah, even they, films they are. like Ant-Man, which me personally, I've never cared about Ant-Man as a character. Um, But even yeah. that film, I thought to myself, you know what? I personally am not a fan, but this is a well-made, well-put-together film with great special effects. And, you know, so, I mean, I look at the MCU and I think the reason people love it so much is it truly is something the whole, everyone can enjoy. It's, and it gives you everything you could ever want out of a superhero film. They do that every single time. You want to see your hero get up and kick ass? They give it to you right. every time. Um, right. So so let me pose you this question before we move in the sport. Let me just ask you this. So, I mean, because like you said, the MCU has something for everyone. There's something for every walk of life for everyone in that cinematic universe, which is why it's universally loved. Um, 
we could say the same for Star Wars. There's just something so universal about Star Wars that doesn't exclude anybody. Yeah, it can be for kids, but it can also go very dark as well. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I'm trying to figure out for the life of me, for, like, for DC, I mean, when they, you know, let's just look at it like this. Well, outside of, okay, yeah, people may think that BVS overstuffed and did a lot of that. Outside of that, just, like, talking about the dark elements of Man of Steel and BVS, what made it so hard for everyone to universally accept that, to accept you know, Man of Steel and BBS, because, like, I'll, I'll never understand it. Like, okay, we see Superman go I, through some struggles, and he's not always smiling. I don't okay. think the problem... First of all, I think anybody who knows anything about Batman, they enjoyed Ben Affleck. They did. I don't think Ben Affleck's Batman was where people got an issue with it being dark. Because we had just seen... Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy where, you know, you had scenes where Joker's shoving pencils through people's heads. He's setting piles of money on fire with a guy on top. You know, you you got Bane who straight up broke Batman in half and is just snapping necks left and right. We're accustomed to seeing a dark Batman. But the only version of Superman that we have ever seen is a guy who does struggle because Christopher Reeve's Superman had his struggles. And for the life of me, I cannot remember the name of the dude that played Superman in Superman Returns. For the life of me, I cannot remember him. Brandon, Brandon Ralph. He had his struggles, but at the end, you know, he's still Superman. He's looked at, he, you know, just like Batman represents justice, Superman represents hope. That's his thing. That's what the symbol means, hope. But I I think the issue people took with Henry Cavill's uh, Superman is the fact that his movie was so consistently... Now, before I say this, let me say I did enjoy Man of Steel. I think it's a good movie. Let, let Let it be known that you already know my views on MOS... So I totally respect whatever yeah, and about these to say. are not my opinions. These are the opinions of people that didn't like the film, because because as somebody who's okay. a huge fan of Injustice, where Superman is literally the villain, I I can appreciate whenever right. something's done different with a character. But I, the problem people have, and I can see this when you're used to seeing a character who's who represents hope, and he's this smiling figure of. I am Superman. I am going to kick the bad guy's ass because I'm Superman. I represent yeah. hope and I'm, I'm everything good about the world. Henry Cavill's yeah. Superman, by comparison to what we've seen, was incredibly pessimistic. The movie had a very pessimistic tone when you've got scenes where his mom is telling him, You know, you don't have to, like, you don't owe this world anything. You don't have to be a hero, you know, and you've got, and it's just this constant negativity. Now, granted, when you've got a villain like Zod knocking at your door, it's kind of hard to be positive, but all people couldn't get past seeing 
such a just not so much dark but just depressing version of Superman that I, and, and that I think really rub people the wrong way when we're used to seeing him be just that you know look up in the sky it's a bird it's a plane it's Superman that's what it's we're Superman used to seeing. yeah right so Snyder right he did something very ballsy that I think in Man of Steel I think he did a good job with it and I thought it was a like I said I think it was a good movie um but it was very ballsy. It's a huge risk. And anytime you take a huge risk, I mean, sometimes you can expect to be met with some shock. Yeah, with shock. With some so criticism, yeah. I, I think that was ba- – and then you see at yeah. the very end, Superman straight up snaps Zod's neck in half. That was another thing that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way uh, because Superman, right. like Batman – is big on the no kill code. So to see Superman right people they're like whoa 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 Superman would have just flown out of the building yeah. and like pummeled him and taken him to jail or something. Superman taking him Superman, to jail. <laughs> Superman well, I'm just saying what they said. Wow. Superman would never just snap a neck yeah. and kill someone yeah. in cold blood. So, I mean, if, if that's right. what it was. And then, like you said, there's the whole vulnerable aspect of it. Right. I think there are some heroes that people right. don't want to see vulnerable. You know, Batman, yes. Because Batman is a... Right. He's just a guy in a suit trying to do the right thing at the end of the day. That's all he is. Superman, on the other hand, is an alien yeah. demigod. So... We kind of view Superman differently yeah. than Batman. Batman's always kind of been Superman's darker half in the Justice League. So I think that's basically what it all boils down to is people just... Yeah. It wasn't that they... I don't think the problem is people wanted him back in the red tights. I think they just wanted to see a more positive Superman. See him pop, yeah. And, because, and, like, if you read the comic... What were you saying? Go ahead. Batman and Superman, whenever they argue, Batman is always the mystic side of the argument. He's always the one talking about how doom and gloom everything is. And Superman's the one always telling them, no, no, Bruce, we are the good guys. We will do this. We are the Justice League. And so when that's the guy you're used to seeing, right. and now you're watching him snap necks and be vulnerable, and mess up and make mistakes and just be depressing. That can be a yeah. turnoff. Yeah, and and I'll, I'll and and I'll end this point before we move into sports. Like I'll submit this to you that I think that I I totally can see where people can come from with that point of view as well. But I think that what was done with Man of Steel and BVS was not necessarily change the character per se. I would submit to you that it it added the consequences per se, because no one's gonna, you know, no one's gonna sit there and tell Christopher Reeves Superman, oh, you caused all this such and such damage and you know, oh, the world hates you. You're not gonna see that in in 
you know, any of his movies. You're not going to see that in the Brandon Ralph remake, which was sort of an extension of Christopher Reeve. Um, you're not going to see that in the comics necessarily. And so I think all that really was done in Man of Steel and BVS was it added consequences. Everything that Superman did had a negative or a, or a positive consequence. So it was more so about him, like, you know, being, you know, cautious of what he had to do because his actions affected the whole world, whether it be for the positive or the negative. So now you getting people's feedback. Superman just doesn't save the day anymore and everybody cheers. There are going to be some, you know, <laughs> you know, like, you know, should this be happening? You know, you got the government got, you know, they basically added the real world to Superman. And I know a lot of people don't like that. You know, he's Superman. He's supposed to be, you know, someone who can do, you know, it's not supposed to be our world, but I'm like, it is our world. And I'm like, how many times are we going to have superhero projects and superheroes that don't address those issues and how they affect the real world, you know? And I think, you know, I think Marvel did a great job with that. Of course they did civil war, you know what I'm saying? So that I was waiting on them to address that. Cause I'm like, y'all didn't cause all this destruction, Sokovia, New York, y'all didn't did all this mess. And then nobody said nothing about it. Nobody's met y'all with any criticism, but they addressed it in the form of Tony Stark's PTSD you know, with Iron Man 3, they addressed it in the form of the Sokovia Accords and Civil War. And I'm like, okay, now I can get with that because now they're not just going around doing whatever, doing whatever the heck they want and with no consequence and everybody goes home happy. I can respect that because that's how, that's how it would be with superheroes. And so now everyone had this big problem when, okay, the media's, of course, Batman's been met with skepticism by the media before. That's nothing new. But, you know, Superman gets criticized because he's caused such and such amount of damage. Superman gets criticized because he's intervening in state level affairs that he has no access or right to do. You know what I'm saying? It's 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 sort of what separates Superman from being a a dictator, you know what I'm saying? Because he does have to get along with Earth. He was raised there. And that's my whole point about him being a demigod. Everyone's like, he's Superman. He can do whatever the heck he wants. That's fine. But Superman was raised in a human structure. He was raised with human moral values. So he thinks like a human. If he thought like a Kryptonian, oh, he would run Earth. <laughs> that's for sure. You know, I think Injustice tapped into that a little bit. He started running that mug like he was otherworldly. But any other time we see Superman, he's he's human. He's Kryptonian, but he's human at heart. And I think that that's just what rubbed people the wrong way. I'm like, we got to address those issues, especially for a guy like Superman, who's all powerful. He's got to have some limitations, something that has to ground him and keep him grounded or else he's just like every other superhero. So, but that's just, that's just my take on it. People are going to, there's going to be another iteration of Superman down the line. Who knows? So it is what it is, but I've made gotcha. my peace with that. All right. Now we got two sports topics to cover and I'm excited about both of them, but we're oh, going to start with the Go. NFL and kind of, through this one because I really want to get to that topic okay. I sent you because I pulled up, dude, brother, I got a whole page of notes on this. Like, because I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the yeah. other day about it. Um, 
and I want to get your two cents after I read you all the facts. But, so, here's yeah. my question. So, last night, Chicago and the Bull, uh, Bulls. Now, the Chicago and Bulls, Bulls. have done shit <laughs> since Jordan's been there. Uh, but, so last night, the Bears pulled off an upset against Tom Brady and Tampa Bay. Uh, me personally, yes. I'm not reading too much into it. I'm not. I think it's absolutely asinine the way people are are riding Tom Brady's season so hard with such. Oh, hold up, such overreactions. I mean, he wins, and all of a sudden, oh my God, Tom Brady still got it. He loses, and we're right back to he's a forty year old bum. And I'm like, this is going to be right. all season long. <laughs> this is going to be all freaking season long. And and now, of course, you know, next week right. they're playing the Green Bay Packers. It's another chapter in Aaron and Brady. I'm excited for it. Uh, but, I mean, overall, yeah. this is just real quick my take on Tom and Tampa. I think people need to calm the hell down. Because, I mean, I've already shared my two cents on Brady's GOAT status. I think he stands number one as greatest of all time. I think his I think his resume, yeah. when you look, like, if you just took the names off, of, like, if you gave me Brady, Peyton, and Montana's career achievements, take their names away and just show it to people, everybody's going to point to Tom Brady and say, yeah, this dude right here. He's the greatest. Look at all this stuff he did. So for me, I I, I think Brady could have retired last year after that loss to the Titans and been the GOAT. I think he should have retired after I mean, six. Yeah, that might have been good. You know, I mean, I, I thought after – I've been saying it ever since the Falcons Super Bowl because that was the Super Bowl where he passed Montana for most rings. And it wasn't so much – that he passed Montana, it was the way in which he did it. I to this day, that's right. the best Super Bowl game I've ever seen. I have never seen something. Right. What you know, at one point, ESPN had the Falcons at a ninety-nine point nine percent chance to win that game. Tom Brady had a point oh one percent chance to win. And he took that yeah. 0.01% chance and got his fifth ring. But to me, this really isn't yeah. about the past anymore. This is about right now. And my whole take is I, I'm not the, really sweating Brady at the Bucks because I don't care if he wins a suit. I don't think he's going to win the Super Bowl this year. I really don't. I think that when you look at the NFC, I think that the Packers – are a better team than the Bucks, and obviously people are going to say I'm biased because I'm a Packer fan. But I also think the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks are the best team in the NFC right now. I really do, uh, because yeah. I mean I think their offense is very even with the Packers, but their defense is better than the Packers, and that's what's going to make the difference. Um, and then you know there's other teams in the NFC making noise. I'm looking at the Saints. You know, they're only one game behind the Buccaneers for number one. And the Saints have already beaten Tom right. Brady and the Bucks once. Uh, and honestly, I think they're yeah. going to do it again. Um, 
I mean, me personally, all I've got to say about Brady so far is if he makes the playoffs with the Bucks as strong as the NFC is, I mean, that alone's got to give him some more GOAT status. If he makes if if he makes the playoffs. Yeah. And and I agree with that. I think that and I I'll, I'll tell you this. This is where that 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 team versus single player element comes in because you got guys like Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, you know, quarterbacks who are going to take the big contracts. You know, that's not Brady. Brady is a team-oriented quarterback who's always going to be about, you know, team and having all the parts because he just wants to win. You know what I'm saying? Um, other quarterbacks can just go have career years and just be elite status and not make the Super Bowl and still could care less as long as they keep adding records and collecting stats and, you know, performing great every year. You know what I'm saying? Um so here's where that's going to be an issue for Brady. The NFC is the conference that is the latter, the one full of players that are, you know, these are marquee teams with that one superstar quarterback who, you know what I'm saying? I mean, of course you have them in the AFC. You got Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, but really who are we talking about outside those two? There's a case to be made for Baker, but he's not with, he's not up there with Lamar nor Patrick. So, not even close. But then you look at the NFC and look who's stacked in that thing. You know, Aaron Rodgers, you know, uh, Russell Wilson, you know, so Drew Brees, uh, Matt Ryan, you know, so many Dak Prescott who not Cowboys as a team, but statistically as a quarterback, he's killing the game. He's a top, he's playing like a top tier quarterback. So, and that's just stats. So, I mean, unless Brady wants to can put up like 38 in a game, 40 points in a game, which he demonstrated he can, he can throw five in a game. He's going to have to do that a lot. And what we saw against uh, the bears was just a mistake. He made a mistake. He, he made a bad throw. They had no coverage. You know, he tried Bruce Arian said he knew it was fourth down, but he tried to pretend like it was three, you know, and everyone's going to play on that. Max Kellerman is chomping at the bit. Oh, Tom Brady's falling off the cliff. He's been waiting on Tom to fall off the cliff for years. You know what I'm saying? And no guy who's throwing five touchdowns in a game is falling off a cliff. You know what I'm saying? He just made a mistake. And so, and one thing that I know about Brady is that when he makes mistakes, he doesn't make them again. You know what I'm saying? So once he promises that, he doesn't do it again. And I went and something about it. I mean, the guy's got nothing else left to prove prove to to people, but in his eyes, he doesn't see it that way. He wants that. He wants another ring. He wants to go again. And, you know, that would be the ultimate thing. Like for me, everyone's labeled him as the GOAT, and that's fine. But he wants to let there like be no debate after all. We're talking about Jordan's status. He, which I think he already is. He wants to be undisputed. He'll take that record away from Peyton as a, the quarterback with six rings, and then a seventh one with a different team to be the other quarter, the other quarterback to win 
you know, multiple with one team and then go another with another. That's there's no argument that could be said once he does that. Look at the weapons that Tom Brady has. Shut the fuck up if you if that's going to be your argument. If you whenever Brady wins, because this guy just spent the last however long he was at uh, Patriots making superstars out of receivers drafted in the sixth, seventh round and not even drafted. Gronk was a sixth, well, he was like a fourth or fifth round pick. Edelman, sixth or seventh round pick. Chris Hogan wasn't even drafted. So he's been winning Super Bowls with receivers no one else wanted. But Brady's going out there making superstars of these guys. You know, and people talk about, well, he had Randy Moss. He didn't win a Super Bowl with Randy Moss. He had one of his best statistics. If he would have won the Super Bowl with Randy Moss, people would have a point. But he didn't. But every, if I'm not mistaken, I think Montana had Rice in every Super Bowl except one. If I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure Rice has got three rings. But. Right. And Rice and Rice even played on with the Oakland Raiders and still got to another Super Bowl. Didn't win it, but still yes, got to another Gary one. Rice that shows you the best wide receiver in the history of the National Football League. I mean, and what that comes down to is when it's a right. wide receiver, it's basically all numbers. And here's what's crazy: the second closest guy to Jerry Rice in touchdowns, Randy Moss. He's forty-one short of Jerry. Let me let me repeat that, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Jerry Rice, the closest guy to him in touchdowns, is 41 touchdowns behind him. Let that sink in. I mean, damn. That's insane. Yeah. And the closest guy to him in receiving yards is Larry Fitzgerald, and Larry is 4,000 yards behind him. So it's it's like when it comes to Jerry, yeah, there's really no debate yeah. there. And for me, already with Tom, there's no debate. Because as much as I love Peyton, yeah, he's got a Super Bowl with two different teams. But what did he win outside of that? The man had a career 13 and 13 playoff record. He was a notorious choke artist. I watched him get his ass kicked in the Super Bowl. Not once, but twice. Well, I'm not even talking about just the Broncos. I'm talking about the the one where the Saints put that thing on him. When he played Indianapolis, got his ass whooped. Yeah. But when you look at the Super Bowls Tom Brady lost, look at what it took for that to happen. Uh, Eli Manning had to make the craziest throw in the history of the NFL. And then you had Nick Foles, who had to throw for 400 yards, and it's always been one-score games. Tom Brady. Right. And which and which we can't mistake, didn't Tom Brady it throw did. for like 500 or more yards with – so still win a career high I mean, in that I, Super Bowl. Like I said, dude, for me, there really is no argument, and people keep saying Brady's a system QB. Brady's using the same offense that the Patriots that he is now. Brady, and here's the thing people don't understand. Belichick didn't make that offense. 
Belichick is a defensive guru. He's like Nick Saban. That's what he does. He's a defensive yeah. shutdown guy. So for everybody saying that Bill Belichick's yeah. the reason why the offense did so good, you need to check yourself. That's not what Belichick does. Because people always ask, you know, who was right. responsible for that dynasty? Was it Brady or Belichick? My answer is yes. Both of them. Right. You had Tom Brady manning yeah. the offense and you had Belichick manning the defense and it was a match made in heaven or hell or right and he had, and he had a great yeah, mind with Josh McDaniels as well. entire career so for all this talk That's about Brady's a systems QB man, shut the fuck up Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback ever and people just People just need to go ahead right. and just and accept it. Because, I mean, I'm done debating this, honestly. I'm I'm not trying to hear it anymore, man. Right. Last year, everybody's talking about, oh, he threw a pick six against the Titans. He sucks. He's 40 fucking years old. He's 40. Do people realize he's setting records for being, like, being that old? And still playing at this level? This is insane. To me, the fact he even made the playoffs is nuts. So, and he had absolutely no one to throw to outside of Edelman, which I like Edelman, but he's never been a top five receiver in the league. He's good, but he's not Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, Odell Beckham, Larry Fitzgerald, or Michael Thomas. He's not those guys. So people need to start checking themselves, man. Look, I get it. Tom Brady's not the most likable guy. Is he a crybaby? Yes. Does it seem like the refs protect him a lot? Yes. However, people, when you say he's a crybaby, preface that with greatest quarterback of all time. Yeah. And I – and I tell and I tell people this too. I said that at the end of the day, we were going to look at the stats. And I said I told people I'm like, they know I'm a Peyton fan. They know I'm a diehard Denver Broncos fan. But at the end of the day, we have to look at the stat book because the stats are what's going to tell the story. You know, the records are what's going to tell the story. And if at the end of the day, Tom had better stats, a better win record percentage, and all that, more rings then it is what it is, and there's no debating it, you know? And if he wins the seventh Super Bowl, there will – like, there's no debating it at all because it's over 20, 20 years, you know? And nobody's guaranteed 20 years in the NFL, you know? Patrick's not guaranteed 10 in the, in the NFL in – 20 in the, in, in the NFL, you know, nor is any other QB. But if you are and you win – six Super Bowls or seven within those 20, 21 years, yeah. that makes you above reproach. And so, yeah, I agree with you on that. People need to just calm down. Tom Brady made a mistake, you know. And, and yeah, for me, it does further confirm that Nick Foles is no, you know, I mean, and Tom Brady says no excuses. It's either at the end of the day, you win or you lose. You know what I'm saying? That's all they're going to care about. And he lost. And it is what it is. So, I mean, 
And Nick Foles, you know, like I said, I, and I told people this, I'm like, Nick Foles is just isn't an ordinary journey QB. The man is probably the best journeyman QB we've ever seen. One that's a Super Bowl MVP, let alone against Tom Brady. And I thought I turned off the game at work. I turned off the game because I'm like, dude, Tom Brady's going to win this. There's going to be, you know, no argument. I come back and look at the score. The Bears have come back from this thing. And I'm like, wow, Nick, you just had like, bro, really? And so I'm like, hey, and there's only four other quarterbacks who have ever, three other quarterbacks who've ever gone 2-0. and You know, two of them, uh, I believe Brian Grease and uh, Jake Plummer, who are uh, Denver Broncos legends, you know, somebody commented Denver's just built different. Yeah, we are. There's only two other different, three other different QBs. The other one, I forgot who it was. And then Nick Foles, who have ever run, run, run up numbers on Tom Brady with no defeats. But, so whoa, it's not an everyday whoa, thing to whoa, see whoa, that. Whoa, so, whoa, whoa. you know, I'll give you the Super Bowl. I'll give you that. But I'm not going to sit here and act like Nick Foles played amazing last night. I'm not saying that. Mm-mm. I'm not saying that at all. Nobody's going to pretend to say that. It. I'm just saying in terms of winning, period, because that's what Tom at Tom Brady as a person. That's what he looks at. He doesn't care. He wants to be wants it to be a pretty win. Everybody does. No, no doubt. Good yards, good stats, a good win. You know, but the win is what will stand regardless of how bad you performed or not. You know what I'm saying? That's all he wants. He wants to win. And Nick Foles, it was just about winning. I'm not saying Nick Foles is the answer to Chicago's problems because he's not, probably not, neither is Mitchell, but they want to win and they did and they won. They did what they had to do. It wasn't pretty, but on the, on the records, you beat Tom that's Brady. True. You I beat the Bucks. That. And that's all this Because I always have to bring this up whenever we're talking about Chicago. And because I hate Chicago Bears so much, I, I'm, I'm always going to bring yeah. this up. Because, you know, Jordan Love, yeah, that was <laughs> a very weird and, in my opinion, stupid draft decision. However, we can't hold a candle to you, Chicago. Y'all taking Mitchell Trubisky and you got have Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun. <laughs> Oh my god, y'all are so fucking stupid. <laughs> Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Boy, if Patrick Mahomes would have well, been a Chicago band, that would have been the worst Chicago's thing ever. run by morons, apparently. Oh my god. But don't worry, Chicago. You'll always have Mike Dick mm. from the 80s. You'll always have him. You, you can always talk to me about Dick because you ain't got You'll shit have to talk to me about. All right. Now, speak, speaking of coaches. Right. So, yeah, in this final 10 minutes, final 10, 15, 15 minutes, we got. We're going to talk about this because I've been talking to Auburn. I, believe it or not, I have a okay. lot of friends who are Auburn fans, you being one of them. I think I have more Auburn fans than Bama uh, friends. It's crazy. For anybody who doesn't know, listening to the show, I'm a diehard yeah. bleed crimson and rot, a white roll tie till I die. Eric's the same way, but with orange and blue in terms of 
loving them Tigers, and I always respect that. But there's a huge debate right now amongst Auburn fans. Yeah. And the debate is this. Should Gus Malzahn, and, and this conversation seems to come up every single year since he's been there. Every year this comes up, should Gus Malzahn be fired? Yeah. Now, I've gone back and forth on this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start off by listing his accomplishments as a head coach and try to present the case that, no, he shouldn't be. And then I'm going to kind of let the argument for why he should be. And so, Eric, real quick, give me your off-the-top-of-your-head opinion of Gus Malzahn as a head coach following what you've seen from Auburn this season. For right this now, let's season, just say this, this season. season alone or past seasons as well. Okay. This season, it has been absolutely atrocious. Um, we just lost to Georgia last week. Couldn't get anything going on offense. And, um, oh, side note, AD just went down in the finals. Prayers. Oh, God, I hope he's okay. Hope and Holy shit, thought, dude, the I Heat might that, actually win the whatever. series now. Jesus. But um, let's, let's knock on wood on that. Oh, God, don't gas me see. up. Don't give me hope. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I, I want to see the Heat. I'm never referring to him wood. as LeBron again. From this moment on, he's LeBitch. That's what I'm calling him. After listening to him cry about not winning MVP and then leaving his team wow. on the court, fuck him. That's that's pathetic to act like that much. Regardless. Anyways, we're talking about Gus Malzahn. Yeah. I'm sorry to cut off. Go ahead. Yeah. No, you're good. You're good. Um, but, yeah, I mean – this that I'm seeing in the beginning of the season is not going to cut it for us. It's not going to cut it if we can't play like because because like I said, bro, I'm past this. If he rebounds and we go, you know, 13 and two or whatever, whatever the case may be, since we're dealing only all SEC 10 and two, whatever the case may be, uh, you know, we can't like we can't continue to just lean on a win against Alabama, you know, and definitely since it's in Brian Denny, if we lose, then that'll definitely be bad either way. But iron bowls are no longer what can keep you as a head coach at Auburn. And that's just the sad reality of it. You know what I'm saying? It's about championships and you guys, Alabama, are the only other rivalry in the SEC West outside of Georgia that we actually care about that gets in our way of winning in a, a national championship. In order for us to go to the national championship, we have to get through you guys. And respectably, that's been a battle that we've only gotten to once in 2010. We made it past you guys again in 2013 and came away with no championship, which was disappointing. So... With that being said, there's like beating Alabama or winning the Iron Bowl is no longer going to get us there. It's about championships now, man. We want rings. This rings are nothing. How many has Nick Saban 
or Clemson. Clemson has what two within the last five? You know what I'm saying? Well, Alabama's had really. six within the last <laughs> ten, I believe, right. five or six within the last ten years. Like who? Bro, bro, trust <laughs> me, people sorry. are counting. We're Auburn fans who want championships are counting. So I mean, like this right here, just looking at last game. Well, let me say this, I, and I'm going to be know, nice because you're not my best friend. Too good this season. So I'm not going to treat you like I do other Auburn fans because you're still my friend at the end of the day, and I want to come back on this show. Um, no, you're not. You're, not you're, only you're that, but I'm not a biased Auburn fan. I so, speak it like with, it is. Before I started doing research, <coughs> I was of the mindset that, no, Auburn shouldn't fire him because who out there does Auburn have their eye on that they think they're going to get better? That's been – but because listen to this. These are Gus Malzahn's career accomplishments since he's been at Auburn. He is an SEC champion. He won it his first year, 2013. He beats Missouri, I think it was, and – uh so he's been to two SEC championship games. Yeah. There's only in the SEC West two other coaches that can say that they've won the SEC championship game, and that's Ed Ogeron and Nick Saban. Uh, so he does have that to his credit. Now he's a two he's championship game, one one. Um, he had a BCS championship appearance. And he had that game won, mind you. Let me say that, too. That's what was crazy about that game. Auburn was up 21-3 to at one point. Florida, Florida State fakes a punt. They get some momentum. And it was just yeah. an epic collapse. But they got there. At the end of the day, I always put respect on a team that made it there. And Auburn had a probably the most miraculous season I've ever seen that year. You know, you had the prayer and Jordan hair, freaky as hell, yeah. tipped up, luckiest fucking pass I've ever seen in my life. I've never seen a play that lucky. I, 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 Nick Marshall can throw that ball a thousand more times, run that play a thousand more times. Yeah. That's not happening again. But on that night, the planets aligned in such a way, and the football god said, let there right. be Auburn. And that's what happened. And then follow you follow it up two weeks later, and you have right. the craziest History. ending to the Iron Bowl in the history of the Iron Bowl, the kick six, which I don't cons- – a lot of Bama – a lot of sour Bama fans say that was luck. Right. I don't consider that play luck. I consider it Nick Saban playing scared, and I think it was a terrible decision to send out a kid who's never kicked a field goal before and say, hey, kid, no pressure, but here's a 58-yard field goal. And whoever wins this game goes to the SEC championship game. I mean, that was just a very questionable call. But it was a great decision by Malzahn to have a dude back there to run it back. I mean, on, yeah. on that one play, Saban got out coached. I'm man enough to admit it. Um, yeah. And then finally, um, has more wins against Nick Saban since he's been at Alabama than any other head coach in college football. He's got three. The only other guys with more than with uh, multiple wins who are still coaching is uh, 
uh, Hugh Freeze, because I think he's still got a job at some tiny college somewhere, uh, and Dabo Sweeney. Outside of that, there's no other yeah. current coach that has multiple wins as a head coach against Coach Saban. But Gus has beat him three times. I got to put respect on that. But when we start looking at numbers, right. I mean, my God, I didn't realize it was like this. So overall, since 2013, he has a 64-33 and record. That's 33%. Or that's a 66% winning. Not bad by any stretch. That's not bad. That's not great, but it's not bad. I wouldn't say that's bad. No. Um, no. But here's the, the, the sad reality of Gus Malzahn, and here are the facts, and this is why I, why I think there's such a strong case he needs to be fired. Ready for this? He's got uh, six straight four-loss Ready. seasons. Six straight. Last year, yeah, you beat Alabama, but you turn around and get beat by Minnesota. I was I was watching that game like, man, it's a damn shame we lost to that team. That's embarrassing. Zero playoff appearances. Here's something you might not know. Games. Gus Malzahn has had two first-round draft picks since 2014, both of which – were from last year's team, both of which. All right, so now we all we talk about winning against the rivals and Auburn's three biggest rivals, Bama, Georgia, and LSU. Here's where you need to buckle your seatbelt, ladies and gentlemen. 7-16 and 16 against those three teams, against Bama, Georgia, LSU. Now, when he's at home, here's what's crazy, Eric. At home... He's pretty good. He's seven and four. He's seven and four against those three teams at home. That's not bad, is it? You ready for his away record? Oh and eleven. No. Let me repeat that. Gus Malzahn is O and eleven on the road against his three biggest rivals. That means he has never beaten or he's never won a game in Baton Rouge, Athens, or Tuscaloosa. That that's that that's just not gonna cut it. And then we talk ranked teams, top twenty-five teams. Here we go. He's twenty and twenty-five against ranked teams. He's eight and fifteen against top ten teams. And of those eight and fifteen uh, record. He's had a 2-10 and 10 record when he plays top 10 teams on the road, meaning this dude can't win a big game to save his fucking life on the road. I don't know what his deal is, but he's shown me that. He can't do it. So then, I mean, I'm looking at this, and I just see average everywhere. And listen to this, Eric. Here, here's my last point on this. He has had Two, you talk about bowl games. You don't watch them. I don't blame you. He's had two bowl appearances in New York's in a New Year's Six Bowls. He's been to two of them, two New Year's Six Bowl appearances, and he lost both. He lost both. His only two postseason wins have come against Purdue 
and Memphis. He has lost every other ball game outside of that. So, I, I mean, I'm going to leave it up to Auburn fans, ask for y'all to decide. But I'm going to say this. If Gus Malzahn does not win out, and I mean run the table, he'd be gone. He would be on the next bus out of Auburn if I were the heck, if I were making that decision. Because it, th- th- this is a, a trend with Gus. He keeps, you know, every year it keeps happening. Every year. We got to fire him. But he'll yeah. beat Alabama and we'll give him $50 million. I mean, I, he, Eric, do you realize this man is the sixth highest paid coach in college football? Yeah. The six, let me repeat that. Sixth highest. I sound like Stephen A. Smith saying that. Let me repeat that. Yep. I mean, but, you know, who's going to tell me that he's the sixth best coach in college football? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I would submit to you, he was no not one. worth that contract. He, they got so caught up in. We just beat Alabama yeah. and Georgia. So here's $50 million, Gus. Damn good job. And what has he done since then? The only thing he can hang his hat on is he's right. beaten Alabama. So the, the decision Auburn needs to make is <clears throat> what's most important to you? Do you want to be continue to be a middle-of-the-barrel SEC team, maybe upper-middle barrel, because, I mean, I would still say even after last week's game, I would still say Auburn's probably the second-best team in the SEC West. I would submit that because LSU's falling off big time. Mississippi State already got exposed. A&M, you know, they're inconsistent as shit. Alabama just got done going elbow-deep in A&M. So I'd, I'd still have Auburn at second best. But, I mean, Gus, at some point, yeah. this dude's got to win a big game. He's got to make it to the – I feel like this year, if he don't make it to the SEC championship or if he don't win out, he's fucked. Because here's the thing about the Georgia game that bothered me. because uh, you, you, Yeah. It wasn't that Auburn lost – it was how pathetic his offense looked. Because I'm told that Gus is an offensive master. That's what I've been told. That he, at times, yeah. But he ain't no consistent offensive he can genius. Be. He can be at times. He can be. I mean, I watched that game. Auburn had two field goals the whole damn game. And that was it. I watched that Auburn offense, like, I felt bad for Bo Nix. I really did. And I'm not saying wow. that to be funny. I'm not saying that to troll. I felt bad for Bo Nix because that O-line was horrendous. That was horrendous. That man was running for his life as soon as he said hut. And it's this continuing theme. It's the same problem Auburn faces every single year. Every year. Every year, it's the same old same old. The O-line can't block. The quarterback's not developing. Bo Nix looks worse. This is my biggest issue, and then I'm going to kick it off to you. 
the quarterback. Gus Malzahn is not a quarterback's coach. You know how I know that? You look at the quarterbacks he's had success with, Stidham and Marshall. What do they have in common? They were both transfer quarterbacks, both of them. He didn't recruit them out of high school. They were already developed when they got to him. Cam Newton, yeah, he was a transfer out of Florida. Yeah, You're and right. so so was Cam Bo too. Nicks, to add to that, ladies he was, and gentlemen, uh, Bo Nix is the first quarterback yeah. that Gus got out of high school to start and win seven games. Not nine, not ten, seven. You look at the other guys he recruited out of high school, Sean White and Jeremy Johnson. How'd they do? They were abysmal. Those are years Auburn fans only talk about. This guy has shown me. Jesus Christ. And now you tell me if I'm wrong. He can't develop a quarterback. Because Bo Nix looks worse this year than he did last year. I mean, let me read you this real quick. Uh, This is Bo Nix's stats through two games. One against Kentucky. One against uh, uh, Georgia. 37 of 67, 410 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. He's thrown three touchdowns in two weeks. He's thrown a pick. Uh, 37 of 67, that's not great. Uh, I'm going to say this, man. I think if Gus fucks around and lets Arkansas beat him, I think he might be gone. I'm, I'm let me kick it off. Yeah, we look, we lose. Yeah, we lose. I agree with you. We lose this game to Arkansas, and he's done. Because and and like you said, you pointed out the great the 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 situation with Jeremy Johnson and Sean White, and how Bo Nix is the first QB to be developed out of high school by Gus that. Um, that got seven wins. We start, I think Auburn, we started a great tradition when Nick, when uh, Nick Marshall, I almost said Nick Foles, Nick Marshall <laughs> came into the mix and as a Duco transfer, we started a great tradition when Cam Newton came, uh, transferred over of having these quarterbacks that were Juco or at another college transfer and come to Auburn. Uh, that started a great thing, and let's look at the results of that. You know, Jared Stidham had a great year, beat Alabama, no championship, but, you know, we look at him as a product in the NFL, back up to another Gus Malzahn, uh, you know, uh, led quarterback, Cam Newton. And he's the backup, could have been the starter this year, but it's Cam Newton. They're going to give him, you know, it's Cam. So, I mean, but Jared's no terrible quarterback. Jared is a great, well-developed QB that I think is going to be successful in the NFL. Uh, Nick Marshall, you know, ended up having to go to corner. I don't know what his situation is now. I think he's a free agent, but just looking at the results that we had with him in college and the offense that we were running when we adapted the Auburn fast moniker, the fast-paced offense, you know, sugar offense, sugar huddle, you know what I'm saying? Let's look at that national championship appearance. No win, but we got there. And while in the process, without a doubt, in in the words of Stephen A., you know, one of the most historical, one of the most greatest epic college finishes 
uh, in two back-to-back games ever in the history of college football. We get all that, and <laughs> you know, as he would say. But yeah, we get all that. But um, you know, I thought we would continue that tradition. I was there at the A game. You know, me and my brother were there for Auburn training camp. You know, as well to uh, to watch A day as well. My brother went to the football camp with Gus Nim and you know me and my brothers thought the same thing they had a juco quarterback um I believe his name was Malik Johnson if I'm not mistaken I forgot what his name was he transferred to uh a a different college now he left but I thought he was gonna start because I'm like okay he looks like a Nick Marshall style quarterback he looks like you know what I'm saying? That's, you know, he looks like that kind of style quarterback that we continue that sort of Nick Marshall style success with. But Gus didn't start him. He started Bo Nix. I knew nothing about Bo Nix, you know, and like I said, I ate my words when Bo Nix did great against Oregon. I ate my words when when we won against Bama. Not going front. Not going front about that at all. But now, okay, let's see that continued success. Now we want championships. and so Let's see if we can make it to a national championship with this. It's year well, two. We haven't gotten any closer to a national championship. You know? And so it sort of makes it, – it sort of does beg the question of, you know, does – and I'm not saying that's an easy job at all because I'm just a football fan. I'm not saying it's an easy job to develop a quarterback. I'm not saying it's an easy job to lead a team, you know. But at the end of the day – that's what's on the record book, wins and losses on the minds of fan every day, fans every day. What have you done for me lately? That's well, you the know, mindset. Real quick, you know, you, we'll you remember what you did for um, us, but more importantly, what have you done for us lately? And yeah, they were both good, yep. but here's something that we need to take into consideration. They both only had yeah. one good year. Like, so Marshall comes in in 2015. Obviously, we all know what happened. They go to the national championship, great season. He comes back the next year. Auburn loses five games. They got beat by, I think it was LSU, Alabama. Yeah, it was LSU, Alabama, A&M, Georgia. Yeah. And then whoever they, I think it was Wisconsin with Melvin Gordon they lost to. And then you look at Stidham. Okay, 2017, uh, rocky start to the season. But then they go on and they totally just skull fuck Georgia in their first appearance. And then they turn around, they beat Alabama, right? So that was great. But then they lose the SEC championship game and they lose the bowl game to UCF, which made me realize that it's not Auburn. It's UCF that has the most annoying fan base I've ever seen to declare themselves national champion. Like, shut your – oh, my God, that was so annoying. I mean, I played for UCF, but if I knew they were going to be that annoying, I might have pulled for Auburn. I ain't going to lie. Then, wow. Yeah, but then you look at Stidham in 2018. Again, we're we back let that, to we let that happen you know, too. So that's our fault. We let seasons. that happen. You know, because even with Stidham that first year, Auburn still lost four games. That they finished that season with four losses. So, I mean, Malzahn, he's a good. He may be above average. But this dude can't develop quarterbacks. He can't develop players. Uh, he just uh, he has not shown me that he can do that. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that Coach Saban develops quarterbacks himself, but what he 
Gus do that Gus can't seem to figure out is Saban went out and got a guy who could in Lane Kiffin. And then with Brian Dable, he surrounded himself with dudes who can do that. Gus seems to want to do the offense himself because I'm about 90% sure this is what Auburn's going to do next, Eric, and I'd be willing to bet on this. You're going to hear this announcement from Gus. I'm going to start calling my own plays now. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. I think he already has. Was Gus Malzahn (laughs) calling plays against Georgia? Yeah, I think that was last season he decided he he was going to do that. He got to go. Now, that's unacceptable. I I believe so. Which, why Auburn hired Chad Morris to begin with is fucking beyond me. That was a terrible hire. I don't know why. Like, Auburn couldn't have got no one better? That was shocking. I thought that looked like Chad Morris offense. But if you say Gus was doing it, mm -mm. I've seen all I need to see. Gus got to go. I don't know. who. You know who I would hire if I was Auburn? I know the guy had some struggles as a head coach. But if you get him the right offensive coordinator, I think he could be good. And he's the one guy at Auburn who's done a good, consistent job year in and year out. And that's Kevin Steele. I would give Kevin Steele a chance if I'm Auburn. He'd be first. Right. Because I, I really do. Like, I respect yeah. Kevin because Auburn, you know, their defense, I mean, Georgia didn't necessarily dominate them. Yeah, they had 27 points, but I think they held Georgia to two field goals in the second half, if I'm not mistaken. I think one or two field goals. In the, so the defense, as far as I'm concerned in that game, they did as good as they could yeah. do. But when your offense is consistently three and out, 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 you can't ask your defense to hold that team to zero points. You know, the offense has got to step up. And if Gus Malzahn's calling card is offense, I'm not impressed. He got to go. That's just my two cents on the issue. But, but let me ask you this, yes or no. Right now, if you were the Auburn athletic director, right now, would Gus Malzahn have a job at Auburn? Right now, would he have a job? Right now? Yes, and no. Yes, because it would be... It would depend on the season. It would depend on, you know, what happens the rest of this season. Because I told you what my position was. It's championship or bust. You know what I'm saying? I told you what it was. No championship, no job. So, you know, for me, that's where I would stand. I would give him the rest of the season to figure this out. You know, if we don't win the SEC championship, you're gone. You're out. I'm fine. So, it's a yes and no for me. Yes, depending on the rest of the season, you know, if you win us a SEC championship, national, whatever the case, chip, championship period, you stay. No championship? Nah. No, any, any, this time, because for me, it's time to elevate the standard of Auburn. You know, yeah, I'm glad that, you know, like we can talk about all of these kinds of different games, like, you know, there have been plenty of historical finishes within 
the within the uh, within college football, but a lot of those have ended off in championships. We have two of the best endings in college football history, you know, of all time, but we have no championships to show for it. You know, the national championship in 2010 was through and through. We came back play by play and beat Bama. You know what I'm saying? There was no miracle involved in that. There was no luck involved in that. We did that straight up. You know what I'm saying? Play by play, yard by yard, inch by inch. And it resulted. Right. And that's championship. You're right about that. That's championship. You're on your last strike. This it's time it. for championships. You man. lose one it's more game. I don't give a fuck who it's to. You're gone. I don't care who it is. if Gus Malzahn loses, especially if he looks that bad. If Auburn plays another game yeah. and they look that bad, you're gone. You're that. That's unacceptable. That if you're if you're Auburn, and this is coming from a Bama fan, but I'm also a Bama fan who wants beating Auburn yep. to mean something. You know, I, I want that to be a good game. I want to see Auburn be respected because, you know, whenever you like, – that's how come – over the last few years, I haven't enjoyed that rivalry. Why? Because the Bears suck. You know, it's like, yeah, we're going to kill the Bears, obviously. With Auburn and Bama, what makes it fun is Auburn – and Bama, a lot of times, are evenly matched. But, yeah. I mean, good God, what I saw last week, if this was just one game, then, okay, you know, you have bad games. Saban's had bad games. He got his ass whooped in the national championship game against Clemson. It happens. You have bad games. But, Gus, it's the same problem every year. You can't develop quarterbacks. You, you, you just can't get over the hump. I don't know what more Auburn needs to see from this guy because I would have fired him after the 6-6 six and six season, which I, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say it was 2016 where Auburn finished like 6-6 six and six in the regular season. That would have been it. I'd have been like, you're done. You're fired. Because he had just went 8-5. and five the previous yeah. season. So eight and five, six and six. No, you're gone. Yeah. Get out of here. And so there's no justification for me to keep this dude. Like I said, if he loses right. to Arkansas this week, right. he's got to go. Like if, because at that point you're done, your national championship hopes are done. You're not getting in anywhere. You know, I mean, so, yeah. I mean, I think Auburn will beat Arkansas and I think they'll beat Arkansas. Yeah. Yo, you there? Yo, Ev. Had a cut out. Thank you for joining. This has been another edition of J House Radio.